Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We're going to talk about overcoming unwanted pornography use, and we're going to talk about an app that my guest has developed to help you that are working to overcome porn. Um, perhaps your support partners will be aware of this, local leaders, parents. Uh, my guest is Chandler Rogers. Welcome to the podcast, Chandler. Hey, thanks, Richard. Great to be here. A um, little background on Chandler. Chandler is 24. He's married. He just graduated from BYU out of the business school. I sort of like that area of BYU because it's the only place I know when I went there as a graduate student. He has a degree in strategy. Instead of taking one of the job offers that I'm sure he could have had, he and maybe others have started a company that you can check out at Joint Relay, R-E-L-A-Y dot app, A-P-P. And that's an app to help you overcome unwanted porn use. And this podcast will talk about Chandler's own journey to solve unwanted porn use. Um, he's spoken about this broadly. Um, he's spoken with his wife, Jade, at times about this. She's not on the podcast. We'll probably talk about um, being married and talking about this as a married couple. Um, and we'll also talk about his desire to put together Relay, which is something that's available for about eight bucks a month. We'll talk a little bit about what that is and how it could potentially help you. It's something that, as Chandler's talked to me before the podcast, sounds really good. It's something I wish I'd learned or was aware of earlier because I know, and you've heard me talk about this, listeners, when I started my YSA assignment, stake president set me apart and left, and I still remember the name of the guy that walked in the very first interview was talking about porn use, and we talked about that for three years. And I know a lot more than I know now and wish I had known what I know now to go back in 2013 and help the good women and men um, working to solve porn use. That's also a focus of a chapter of a book that I've written, um, Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. It's one of the chapters in there, and you can um, pick up that book and read that. But this podcast is not about my book. It's about Chandler. So I want to focus on Chandler. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks again, Richard. And where are you right now? So I am calling from Midway, Utah. I'm currently house sitting right now for a friend who's out of the country. So. That is great. What a we're recording this in May. What a great time to be in Midway, Utah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, a little little bit of a bigger house than than we're used to living in the small Provo apartment usually. <laughs> and um, we made a connection because I asked Chandler where he served his mission. He served in New York City, Spanish speaking, and Chandler was there when the two missions combined. Um, and was in a, probably doesn't want me to say this, but was an assistant in the new combined mission. Um, but we made a connection with his mission president before that, for that com combining, that's not a word, happened. Um, Prentice, president and sister Gary Reynolds, who are dear friends of us, members, he's in our stake presidency and live in our ward. Give a little, how do you feel about the Reynolds? Give a little shout out oh. to them if you want to. Oh, President and Sister Reynolds are awesome people. I, you know, I, I'll talk about a number of themes in my story, but they, for me, have been such great examples of um, being totally supportive and understanding and encouraging as, you know, I've worked through a lot of hard experiences, both on my mission and since I've come home, they've been great supporters to me and so many other young adults in the church. Well, they are terrific. And we have a podcast coming up in a couple more months with uh, another missionary from their mission. So. Um, and they've already mentioned, this missionary's already mentioned to me how much they love the Reynolds. Um, let's talk about just, I think it'd be logical talk if you're willing to talk about your own, your own porn use and 
Um, and then just I'll just kind of turn over you, Chandler, to talk sure. whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, no, sounds good. So yeah, my story really goes back to um, to the beginning of my high school years. I, you know, so, something about me, a lot of people don't know now I'm 24, but I have a, a chronic issue called Crohn's disease. And it yeah. actually affected me uh, around middle school, early high school years to where I didn't grow very much at all for a long time. I was really tiny. And one of the, kind of the side effects of this was like, I didn't hit puberty till a lot later. So uh, you know, for me, as soon as I hit puberty, I stumbled upon masturbation, which I feel like is a topic that's even less talked about than pornography use. True. And, you know, for a while, it didn't, you know, really understand what was happening. I think very normal process and part of, you know, your body changing. And I think eventually started to realize like, oh, I think this is that thing that like one time my parents mentioned, but like really didn't like know what it was. I, I think, you know, I read a little bit of, of your book, Richard, and like the definition of like, you know, what, what is actually a sin and what is not. And like, how does masturbation fit into that? Like that was all super confusing for me as a teenager. And I started to struggle with these feelings of shame before it really turned into anything else, not knowing like, you know, do I go to a bishop about this? Do I just try to like stop? And it had kind of developed into a bit of a, a compulsive habit. And then, you know, kind of fast forward a couple of years throughout high school, um, pornography kind of wedged its way in there and became a thing that I was struggling with as well. And a big part of like that, that early experience was really me just grappling internally with like, oh my gosh, like I'm this kid who was raised by great parents. And I feel like I've, you know, probably never sinned in a big way before. How did I end up in this place? Just kind of confused at like, am I really like dealing with something like this? And I think kind of imposing my own sense of like shame and guilt, not from anyone else or anything specific that I'd heard, but just kind of feeling like, like I let myself down and that if anyone were to know, like that, I just, I guess I'm not the kid that everyone thinks I was, was kind of thoughts that were going through my head. But eventually I think I'd just been knocked down so many times and just trying on my own to, to change things that I realized I needed help. And I had a great relationship with my Bishop and actually felt comfortable reaching out to him. Um, I did so via text, which felt like a more, you know, approachable way to start the conversation. So appreciate all those bishops out there that are text friendly. Um, and, and I just remember, you know, he was so supportive of, of me and just showed me so much love right off the bat. Um, and I, you know, I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but my mom kind of ended up finding out, like, I didn't tell her explicitly, but she kind of, I think just like mother's intuition, like she just knew that something was wrong or that I was just struggling with something. And, and so she kind of approached me in a really, gentle way and kind of asked, you know, if it was something I was struggling with pornography specifically. And I told her, you know, that I had, and I'd already been talking with Bishop and trying to work through it. And, um, and I was able to get, you know, through those experiences, my mom and my Bishop kind of in my support team. Um, and that's kind of like that concept of a team or support system is something that I'll touch on, I guess, throughout my story multiple times. Um, and so it was, it was great to not, you know, no longer have this such you know, isolating and, and stigmatized thing only to myself and now have a couple other people supporting me. Um, but I was still kind of struggling and ended up uh, joining the Sons of Helaman program through life-changing services. And through that experience, I think the biggest thing I gained there, now this was junior, senior year of high school, um, was having a group of other guys who were my age, who are also members of the church preparing for missions, um, who were working towards the same thing. And, you know, I think cognitively, I knew that I wasn't the only one struggling with this, but I think maybe like I kind of alluded to felt like 
I, I, this is probably pride. I don't know. I felt like maybe I couldn't struggle with this. Only people who were somehow lesser than me could struggle with, which is completely ridiculous, like idea that I would even think that way. But I guess like subconsciously just kind of had this idea of, well, people who struggle with this must be weird or, or more, you know, messed up than I am. And, but I think as I went to those meetings, I realized, you know, everyone there is different. Sure. You know, some people are, you know, potentially more in a more severe place than I was, but I kind of realized that there's a lot of other people who are quote unquote normal, who are dealing with these things that also no one would suspect are dealing with. And I think it started to change my mindset around like the, I shouldn't be struggling with this to like, I am, and that's okay. And like, now I just got to look at the here and now and going forward and stop dwelling on like, how did I, you know, how did I get to this point? Like, am I really still a good person? I just kind of realized like, yes, I'm still a good person. Yes. There's a lot of other good people that are working towards these things. No, it doesn't have to like disrail or derail my life. You know, I think that was really key for me. was like just building these friendships, honestly, with these other guys. Um, and so I was able to see a lot of success through that and, and largely the connection and the reduced shame and the accountability from that. And so that kind of leads up to the mission. I, I went, as you talked about, went out to New York for my mission. Um, and something I'll, I'll touch on on this part, like I feel like normally as I listen to other people share their stories, they kind of gloss over the mission. And normally it's like, a you know, and that was when things were good. And then I came back and it yes. really sucked again. Because <laughs> there, no uh, ac- there was no access on the mission generally. Yeah, but, but that's we were changed. <laughs> yeah, we were one of the first missions, you know, piloting new technology and devices and stuff. And and so I actually did struggle while I was out in New York. You know, it wasn't necessarily the same or as frequent as when I was at home. But I think that was maybe one of the most difficult parts of this journey for me was feeling like I worked really hard to become, you know, quote unquote worthy, like worthy to serve a mission. I, I worked my way, got out there, and now I was struggling again, but telling people every day how to repent and how to get closer to God and dealing again with this sort of like feelings of hypocrisy and like, am I, you know, like, how, can I really be helping other people if I haven't kicked this for good myself? And I think, you know, as I fast forward down the road, that's applied, like that same thing is applied to callings, to other assignments, to now working on Relay. You know, I, I haven't been perfect, you know, at this, the entire time I've been married or working at relay. And I think, I think on my mission, when I was in the depth of just struggling internally with like, how can I be out here doing a good job, trying to be a good missionary, you know, like I wasn't just trying to like stay out there. I was like trying to like do a great mission. Like, and I felt like the missionary, a lot of people maybe saw with me was totally different than how I saw myself. That could be really hard. Yeah. It was so, it was so tough. And I think you know, the Reynolds were, were so great and kind as I talked with president Reynolds about this challenge. I think he, you know, he didn't make it a bigger deal than it needs to be. I think he focused on like, well, where's your heart? You know, are you focused on, on repenting and trying to improve? Like, is it, it's clearly something you care about, right? Like, I remember that was a conversation we had and I was like, oh yeah, like I care a ton about improving in this area. And he's like, that's what the savior wants is for you to focus on him and be trying. Um, and I think that that really helped me as I continued throughout my mission was, you know, regardless of the assignment I was serving in or who I was helping or what, how good I was doing personally with this issue, I was able to not define it by how many days clean I was, but how well am I doing at focusing on the savior and trying to see myself through his eyes? Um, if my wife were here, she would probably interject and share 
something that she's kind of learned throughout this journey for us. And that's kind of this idea of seeing things the way that God sees them or seeing them as they really are and seeking personal revelation to see ourselves in a more accurate light rather than trying to ourselves like get things right as we work through the logic of how things are in our mind like trust god and try to see things from his angle with the help of the spirit and that was a really like i think that was a big breakthrough for me to kind of shift how he's seeing things and and so that was both on my mission and then you know fast forward to coming home i started byu let um, me ask you just a couple questions about your mission um because you said something really that impacted me before we went live and i think you kind of said it but you're did you could you be an effective missionary and not be perfect yeah yeah i mean i think the answer is absolutely yes because otherwise i don't know how to reconcile the fact that there were times when i think i was definitely able to be a really effective missionary and those times probably definitely coincided with me slipping up or not being perfect which in the moment was so hard to reconcile but in retrospect it's like well the obvious answer is i guess you can be a good disciple of Christ and do good, you know, and, and whatever it is, a mission or otherwise, and still not be perfect. I like what President Renzel says, because it seems like he wanted to go to where your heart wa- is and was. And yeah, as I'm guessing, your heart was wanting to bring people into Christ in New York City and being deeply committed to um, your mission and not sort of saying, okay, how do I rebel and disappoint God? And my mission yeah. present, my companion, I'm going to go view porn. This seems like just something that is sort of part of your journey, um, a coping mechanism perhaps to deal with the stress or anxiety or a brief escape. And so I love, and I think that's just good advice for everybody. Um, it, that's not an invitation. Chandler and I aren't giving you an invitation to view porn, but we are giving you an invitation to um, look at your heart and bring people into Christ and be effective whatever way you're serving and realize you don't have to be perfect to do that. And I think those with scrupulosity particularly get in a bad spot where they're beyond salvation and um, perfect obedience and exact obedience can actually just be these unattainable goals that make it just impossible and almost really crater someone's emotional health. So even if you're pre-mission listening to this podcast, um, and you're working through porn, I think Chandler and I would both invite you not to view porn on your mission, but you're not going to be perfect on your mission. And um, you've got to sort of pragmatically realize that and do what Chandler and President Reynolds talked about is look at your heart and your desire to grow and learn and improve. And perhaps, and maybe Chandler, you can talk about this, the very fact you're working through stuff maybe gave you more spiritual gifts and insight to the atonement to help others. Oh, totally. Totally. And thanks for bringing that up. Cause I think of all the things that I've learned over the years, like I've, I've spent so many times like asking myself, like, why am I still dealing with this? Like in total now, so I'm 24, right. This started when I was 14, 10 years, right. Why have I spent a decade of my life dealing with the same trial? You know, what more do I need to learn? God is like something I've asked a lot. And I honestly think that I continue to underestimate the amount of like compassion and understanding of the savior and and how he sees others, including myself and what that's unlocked for me. Like, I don't think I would have been able to be as good of a missionary as I was in some in some circumstances or some lessons or some interactions. If I hadn't had that deep personal experience with coming to walk the road back to the savior of repentance and dealing with, you know, how do I, how do I treat myself when I feel like I'm failing? 
I've had so many conversations with others on my mission. And since then, I have people who just feel so hopeless because they feel like they're, they've screwed it all up and everything's going wrong and they can't do things right. And I just, I feel like I just have this deep personal sense of like, I understand how sucky that feels. Cause I've felt that, but that's just not true. Like that's a lie. You are absolutely worth everything. And you are even in your, you know, darkest periods or it, while you're slipping up or working your way back, you are still qualified to help others. God doesn't say we need to reach the finish line and then we can like be a great missionary and be a great minister, be a great spouse um, or serve in whatever way. Like, I think he can leverage like the things that we learn from our journeys with sin and, and weakness. And, and I don't, I think that's a, that's, whole tangent we could get into is I think there's some elements that of this that are both sin and weakness and not necessarily just talking about, you know, well, how can my sins be used for good? I think there's an element of like, I'm grappling with weakness as well. And God's helping leverage those to strengths, which we do know from scripture and ether, right? Like God can help turn our weaknesses into strengths. And so I feel like as I've been grappling with weaknesses and being able to overcome this one weakness in my life, of many weaknesses, you know, I've tried to let it not be the only weakness I focus on. I think God has for sure been able to help bless others through me in ways that are not because of me, but it because of what I've gone through and had to learn from. And that's a really good segment. Um, I'm not sure I've talked about this on the podcast, but in our, in our ward and stake, we had some hurdles that missionaries had to achieve before they could serve and regarding pornography and masturbation. And I can't remember the time frame, but they needed to be free from pornography and masturbation for a period of time. I think it was a few months. Can't quite remember. And I might be more nuanced on that. Um, I probably would, I probably be more of a principle-based approach to prepare missionaries for their mission. And for some, and it's sort of counsel with the missionary, what we want to get you worthy. We want to get you in the right spot is, would it be helpful to have a period of time to work for um, to be free from masturbation pornography. Um, that's generally what we do in our warden stake. Would that be helpful for you? Or would it be, um, you know, it's sort of like the principle is to kind of get your heart where it needs to be, to be able to serve and to feel like you're making progress and feel square enough with God to go out. And And the goal isn't necessarily to be perfect before you serve. So I think, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that Chandler, but I just, uh, this isn't a, leadership podcast. I'm not trying to counsel leaders on how to be leaders, just kind of sharing my own experience. I might be a little more nuanced on that. And because yeah. I think the principle is to get some prepared for their mission versus these time fixed time requirements that may not universally apply to everybody in the same way. I a hundred percent agree. And I agree that, you know, this isn't, we're probably not the best ones to counsel leaders on how to think about this, but I, I totally agree from my own experiences and, and talking with hundreds of people and, and hearing, you know, what their, how their bishops thought about it and their stake presidents. Like, I think I, like I've known countless individuals who those like outcome defined, like um, milestones um, actually caused more harm than good because it gets the individual focused on how do I miraculously get from trying to not slip up every few days or just get to one week clean or two weeks clean to now, like you're telling me I got to hit three months. Like, even if that practically makes sense and may still be the right thing, I think the focus of helping someone overcome this, what I've learned, I do a lot better when I'm not focused on how do I reach X days clean? It's what do I need to do to better heal both on a 
spiritual level and a psychological and physiological level. Like I think, you know, in your book, you talk about the definition of addiction and maybe sometimes we're too quick to use the label addiction. And so I don't want to get into, you know, how to do, how to differentiate between all those things. Like I'm also not the right person to talk about that. Um, but I think to that extent, like compulsive sexual behavior, whether it's, um, you know, actually defined as an addiction or not for an individual, there's probably some element of psychology of needing to heal and to rewire the brain and to be able to break a habit, you know, even a habit with like snoozing your alarm, if it's not an addiction, it's still, you got to rewire your brain and, and break the cycle somehow. And it's usually more than just white knuckling. Um, and so I think in a similar way, it's more helpful to focus on what are the inputs to the healing process, both spiritually and psychologically. And depending on the individual, maybe right to work with a therapist to help with that, which I'm a huge proponent of, but I really think that, you know, people, including myself, like you make so much more progress that leads to those three months clean or six months clean or whatever it is when you're focused on what, what's next for my healing and how do I be consistent at the things that will get me there? Not just, you know, let's focus on, are we getting to the milestone first? And by the way, maybe try these other things that will help you get there. Like, I think we're measuring success by our inputs. We're more likely to see outcomes that are desirable. That segment was terrific, Chandler. Um, really. Um, I love the focus. Um, if you focus on these outcome focused and white knuckling it, and it, I think you said that can actually be a negative depending on the person yeah. versus it, it the can, healing. It can spiral to hopelessness when you've been doing this years and you keep saying, I need to get to this week, you know, like, and you keep not hitting it. Like, what does that do? It destroys your self-confidence and, and any hope, which like, what do we need to actually be successful? We need hope in Christ. And so how do we gain hope on a very practical level? I think it's building momentum on things that you can control. And then over time, I think that can lead to outcomes. But anyways, I'm not, again, I'm not a clinical psychologist. These are personal experiences and anecdotes from friends and loved ones that I've seen. You've kind of done this, but talk to a missionary that's been trying to get clean. You do this all the time anyway, I think, but just talk to that elder or sister that's, you know, just they're just so it's been such a long journey for them and they just can't get to the finish line. And they really actually believe in the church and want to serve and bring other to Christ. And so their motives are pure, but they just can't get to the finish line. Talk to that. Yeah, man, I wish, I wish I could sit down with you face to face if that's you um, and just tell you how much worth you have. Like I, I just can feel already just, as we're talking about this, that the amount of heavy sorrow that that can, that can feel like in that position. And I just hope that, that, you know, that this doesn't need to define your discipleship. This doesn't need to define you as a person, your testimony, your ability to serve a mission or after a mission. Um, like I talked about with my own experience, I realized that I could be a good missionary and be still working through this challenge. Not, but like, but I'm still working through this challenge. No, it's, and like, you can be an active member of this church, be a part of God's path and his family and still be working through things. I, I don't think this would be an effective mortal experience if we overcome all of our challenges by 22 years old. And then we're just working on, you know, 
trying to be a little bit more patient for the rest of our lives. Like I think most of the time God gives us a little bit bigger things to chew through and they look through, they look different for everyone. And if this happens to be one of your challenges, I I would highly encourage you to, to stop over-focusing on this needs to be gone before, you know, X, Y, and Z and realize like you can absolutely continue to pour your effort into making change in this area. Like continue to have hope. I know that things can change. Um, and at the same time, your life, both spiritually inside the church and your discipleship and your testimony and everything outside of the church, your goals and your own personal progress in other ways, like those things can continue to move forward without this obstacle being gone first. Like they don't have to be linear and, and be wholly related to each other. Like you can go on to absolutely become everything that you hope to be. And I know you can do it even while you're still working through this. Uh, please don't define your existence by this challenge. It's not worth it. It, it doesn't mean you have to treat it any less important, of course. But. That was great, Chandler. And it reminds me of another, um, I think we're trying to communicate the same principle, but if, you know, missionaries, at least back in 2013 to 2016, and maybe this is still, if you've been sexually active before your mission, if you've had intercourse or oral sex, um, I think the, the, the policy was you had to wait a year um, to serve a mission. Um, but I, my stake president pointed out, doesn't mean the repentance process takes a year. It's just a, it's just a requirement of the church. And don't sort of think then repentance is time-related. Another yeah. chapter of the book, when I'm talking about repentance, is right after the porn chapters. I sort of started my YSA assignment. I thought there's like a grid in the handbook, Chandler. I'd look up the sin and if they were in doubt or not, and it would have, yeah. Yeah, it would have, it would have time and restriction. Like six weeks with no temple attendance given this. Yeah. And I realized there's no such grid in the handbook. And, and I think what the church is trying to teach is just what you're talking. It's a principle-based program of change of heart and godly sorrow. Repentance actually became easier, became simpler for me. The more times I helped someone through the process, it just became change of heart um, and godly sorrow. And all of the other steps sort of folded into there. And it was often a bit of a journey. It wasn't a one-time thing. And if you look at Chandler's heart and where he's been in the whole process, one of the things you've been is completely honest, uh, my sense, with your bishop, with your mother, with President Reynolds, with your girlfriend, now wife. We'll talk about that. But I think that's a sign of godly sorrow and change of heart and sort of everything that's, I'm trying to do everything I can here. So that's, I don't want to be a leadership podcast here, but I'd caution leaders and even parents to sort of get in this mindset that repent the criminal system is time restriction <laughs> and um you know so it's yeah, God, three, god's it, not trying to make us criminals right <laughs> yeah it's three months in jail given this offense and but um the the time if you if you both sort of decide it's not right to go to the temple for a period of time the re, it's it's to try to cause change of heart it's the so even if you're one of those missionaries that's waiting a year. Don't think of yourself as unclean for a year. It's just, you can actually possibly work through the repentance process earlier than a year. That's between you and the Lord and your priesthood leaders, but you're still at least back in the day. And I think that requirement's still in place. We'll still need to wait a year to serve a mission. And that's just a, that's just a requirement of the missionary department, which I support. Anyway, I don't know if you've got any more to say on that or we'll go on past your mission. 
Yeah, no, that sounds good. We can keep moving. So, um, but you're the first guy that's been open about just, this is part of your mission experience. And um, thank you for doing that. I think there's probably, that's hap- happening to other missionaries and they're navigating this. We've learning with social media and COVID. Um, that, you know, that that's probably been a reality for a lot of missionaries that are out serving and we're learning to use social me- media, but they've been sort of not available to do as much traditional missionary with COVID that's lifted. But they may come home with tremendous guilt. They may not have talked to their mission president. They may have regret about their mission. Or, um, and I think, what would you say? And you've probably had these conversations. What would you say to somebody who's come home from their mission and kind of thought when they get off, get on that plane to come home, they wouldn't have had any mess ups during their mission? And now they're feeling like, gosh, I really failed on my mission. <laughs> what would you say to that yeah. group? Yeah, I mean, I think. I think there is, you know, an element of like, okay, like maybe, maybe the guilt that someone might be feeling is, is correctly placed. And like, maybe I should have like dealt with it sooner. Right. Like I know I felt some some sort of like, when I talked to my Bishop, like I felt kind of bad that I hadn't dealt with it earlier. And, and even when I talked to my mission president about it, right. Like I, I didn't do it immediately the first time that I, I had an issue on my mission. And I don't think that that necessarily needs to be a hard and fast rule. Right. Anyways. But I know that I personally was like, did I fail in some regards by not having dealt with this earlier there? I think there's a healthy way to look at that though. And maybe the way to, to look at it maybe isn't defining your mission by just a pass or fail. Like in your mind, I think it's really important to recognize that you probably did a ton of good in your mission. There's probably a ton of things that you did right. And with any mission, whether it's slipping up in this area or in something else, like there's probably some ways that, that you didn't do things perfectly, but that's okay. Again, like, I, like we hear these church leaders all the time, apostles saying, you know, I make mistakes and they don't need to disclose to us what those things are, but I believe them, right? Like I, I believe that people who are doing their best to serve worthily in their callings also make mistakes at the same time. But I think it would be a, a true mistake to get hung up over like that being the definition of the assignment that you served in, right? Like, I think you should choose to focus on all the good that you did, all the ways that you did follow the savior and did help so many other people. And I think it's also appropriate in a healthy way to address the areas that now you can still work through and and focus on changing. Like we're just at the beginning, right? Like enduring to the end, like we've, we've just started our journey. I think I think we spend a little bit too much time looking back at the past filled with regret. And I think we should spend more time thinking about where am I at right now? You know, accepting myself and where I'm at and all the good that I've done giving up to the, getting up to this point and all the things that I haven't. And that's okay because now I'm at here where I'm at today. What can I do to start um, continuing my process of getting closer to the savior going forward? Um, that was great. Talk, uh, just keep talking. I don't know if you want to talk about getting married. I don't know if you talk about um, starting Relay. Um, I'd love yeah. you to talk about at some point you're dating Jade and you talk about your pornography. And a lot yeah. of people need to hear that conversation because they're... Yeah, let's, they're let's the, get there. So, so before I met Jade, we met pretty quickly after I got home from my mission and she had just served her mission in Taiwan and got home. Um, and she was also at BYU. There was a few months kind of before that where I'd come home and I was kind of in a similar boat to what we were just talking about. Like, you know, I, it wasn't as dramatic as was my mission of failure, but it was like, man, I'm still struggling with pornography and I'm now post-mission. Like that seems scary. Like how do I get a handle on this for reals? You know, I've made progress before. What do I need to do? So I actually jumped back into the uh, group-based program that I was in before my mission 
And the reason why I'll touch on this is really because I kept like meeting more people, more and more friends, more and more guys my age who now are in college, you know, dating people, studying, you know, preparing for careers at certain missions, some hadn't. Um, and a lot of what I started to realize was now I was forming this massive like support system of people that were in the same boat who, you know, weren't shaming me for where I was at because they were also working through things. Um, but I kind of realized that I wasn't fully utilizing them on a day-to-day basis. Like I was largely still like Chandler white knuckling it and trying to do the spiritual basics that could hopefully let God be a part of my healing. But, you know, like really just feeling like, okay, I have all these people in my phone as contacts. So many people I'm sure don't have that. They feel like they don't have anyone to turn to other than maybe their bishop or a trusted family member. And I, I just started to think like, how can I get more out of this group of peers that I have? And this is kind of the catalyst behind Relay and why we started to build Relay, um, which I'm kind of time jumping a little bit here. This is now a year in the future after I've been married, where I was having conversations with Jade, my wife, and she was, you know, asking me as we were following up on how I'm doing and things and saying, Hey, I don't want to be your primary accountability partner. I don't think it's healthy for our relationship. You have all these other people that I know that you've met mission buddies, other friends, people from this group program. Are you checking in with them? Like, do you have a system to leverage these peers for connection and for accountability in a way that's not shame, like not shame inducing, but is an accountability system. And my answer was like, not really. Like I could probably figure out how to do that more. Anyways, those were kind of the insights I was learning coming home that I needed to be better about consistently not isolating myself. Like I had taken the step to be vulnerable. I talked to people, my bishop, my mom, some friends now in this group program. But did I have like the the willingness to do that every day? Or was I going to stay comfortable and just trying on my own every day? Um, and so anyways, that, that was a big thing I learned. And now maybe we can talk about talking to Jade about this and then follow up with more about Relay and why we started working on that. But as I, as I initially started dating Jade, the first question that came to my mind was, you know, when's the right time to tell her this? Like, I wanted to be honest. I had that desire, but wasn't quite sure like when and how to go about that. Um, I don't know. Should I go into like, please? I think there's a bunch of listeners would love to hear this. (laughs) Okay. So I actually made the decision within a couple of weeks of us officially dating. I, I was kind of like, do I wait a little longer? Do I go sooner? I actually aired towards sooner. Um, and I'm really glad I did because I felt like... Um, what is officially dating first? Does that mean you're not yeah. dating anybody else? Yeah, we we you know decided to be you know, officially boyfriend and girlfriend and not see anyone okay. else. Yeah, so, so that so we happened. Officially a couple. Yeah, she's my girlfriend. And within that same week... I, you know, I was kind of looking for the right opportunity. So the first thing was like, I didn't have a specific, like, Hey Jade, I need to talk to you moment. It was, I was kind of feeling out, you know, at different conversations throughout the week, if there was a natural way to kind of bring it up. And I think that was actually really important looking back, because I think if you're in the situation, like feeling like you maybe are dating someone or have a partner that you need to tell, I think we probably over-dramatize it um, and maybe appropriately. So it's, a, it is a big deal and the, the other person can react in a variety of ways and it can be, it can definitely alter a relationship. And so I don't think it's like, um, you know, not understandable that it feels big, but I think I tried to not make it such a big deal that it was like, Hey, we need to talk, but it was more like, you know, as we were continuing to get to know each other in our past, I was like, Hey, I'd love to share with you, like, 
something that I've struggled with and a challenge that I've been working through. And I want to share with you like a, to be fully honest, but B like to, to help you better understand how I've been growing over the last few years. I think leading with that was actually really key. If she were here, she'd probably comment more on that. But what I did was I, I tried to preface and say like, um, first, like the way I brought it up was actually like, have you known anyone that's struggling with pornography? Um, and she, ha- she was like, do I know someone now? You know, I kind of, I kind of made it obvious that we were going to talk about it, but, but before that I, I was trying to basically ease into it and say, yeah, like we were talking about things that were difficult for us growing up. And I, I didn't want to make this like bigger than it needed to be. So that was kind of how we entered the conversation. But then I asked her, I said, you know, I know you probably have a lot of thoughts and feelings going through your mind. Um, if you'll just give me like a few minutes and just hear me out, I'd love to talk you through like, not only like the, giving you the honest details about what I'm struggling with and what that's been like, but what I've learned from it. Um, like what I think I, like right now that I'm doing to continue working towards it and just like kind of dispel, like, it wasn't just like a confession moment. It was like a full conversation, if that makes sense. And I think as we've talked with other couples, Jade and I, since then, Jade has always recommended, like from her perspective, at least the female perspective, she appreciated that it was a comprehensive conversation that included also some elements of me educating her on like, here's what I've learned about what's actually happening in the brain. Um, and like, here's what I've learned too, about the unhealthy ways of viewing this thing. And anyways, like I tried to not just like dump it on her, but walk her through like the insights I've learned while being honest. So I wasn't holding anything back, but I also wasn't just like dumping it and leaving her to work through and figure out if she was going to feel super hurt or leave me or like whatever. Um, we kind of like made it a conversation that was back and forth. I, you know, took a few minutes to first explain everything. And then we talked for a while. I think that was really helpful. It did um, really affect things in that it was very hurtful. She needed some time to process how it, how it was going to affect our relationship. Um, at the same time, I think she did very intentionally choose to adopt the mindset of, I need to go talk with God and try to understand how he sees Chandler. Wow. Because a big part of what I shared with her was me learning how God sees me and not like all the things that we just talked about the last half hour is like, the wrong way to view things. And then there's the God way to view things. And I think as I shared some of those things with her, it really helped her to be able to form her perspective with God to where she realized like, okay, yes, this kind of sucks in terms of news that I didn't necessarily want to hear from someone I'm dating, but I'm not distraught. I'm also not going to walk away because I still see you for you. And I know that this doesn't define you. And together we were able to work through, you know, you know, what is my plan? How do we want to, in a healthy way, deal with this in our relationship? Like, how do we want to communicate about it on an ongoing basis? Like, those are all things that we continue to figure out and, and have kept figuring out since then. And it hasn't been perfect. And there's for sure been ups and downs when it's been very hurtful for her. And like, if I talk to her about slipping up, it's, it's really difficult. And then there's been other times where she realizes the journey that we're kind of talking about from God's lens and realizing like that the slip up doesn't define me. And I think because she's chosen to collaborate with me and realize that I'm still Chandler and this is one of the challenges and weaknesses I'm working through, it didn't, it didn't derail our relationship. And I, I can say with full confidence that we're in a super happy marriage right now. And it's still something like I am not, I'm not months, months and months clean right now. If that tells you a picture about someone who's working on a company to help people overcome pornography habits and is happily married. 
I, I believe that you can work through a healthy marriage and still be working through these issues. It just took radical transparency and being really collaborative and not just like throwing it on her and hoping that she would sift through it, if that makes sense. That's a really good segment too, Chandler. Is she your accountability partner? Do you, and you've kind of touched on this and do you have advice for, because I kind of landed, I didn't think a girl, I was dealing with YSAs often in committed relationships, preparing for marriage. I generally felt like the spouse shouldn't be the single accountability partner. It overdefined yeah. the relationship, but I don't have a lot of experience. So oh, yeah. uh, I, talk about I that. Mean, is That was kind of where the conversation stemmed from when she was like, hey, there's all these other guys that you've met are they not your accountability partners? Like, are you guys not checking in or like have some sort of system? Like that's kind of where that stunned from was because, you know, she was, I would say she was on my support system, like in my team, um, in that I was keeping her in the loop. We would talk about it openly. And of course, you know, she was my girlfriend, fiance and became my wife. Like she was a part of the process, but I think I early on put a little bit too much emphasis on like, okay, now that I have a significant other who understands I can, I don't need anyone else, you know? And I think that was a mistake. Um, and since then I've definitely learned that she doesn't need to be kept in the loop. Like there needs to be honesty, but she's not my primary accountability partner because it, I think it's really hard to let it, or what's the right way to say this, to not let it define the relationship. Like it can take a toll for sure. And so the day-to-day accountability system I turn to are other peers who are in the same boat. And that's, what I use relay for myself predominantly is I have a couple groups of five to eight other guys who are also, you know, LDS working through the same challenge. Some of them are married, some are not. And I try to, to not put so much of a burden on Jade while also still being honest with her. And that's been helpful. Like she's appreciated that I've got other people to work with. And I think significant others, they want you to be honest, but they also don't need that extra stress of like, being your therapist. <laughs> I love the timing of when you talk to Jade. I think it's, I like the idea. It should way become before you're engaged and probably after the first date. But I think it's sort of when you get, you know, official. Yeah. And, and I love that you recognize it caused her pain. And you've reckoned yeah. you twice in the last segment, you knew when this causes Jade pain. And I think that's just recognizing that this is, you know, tr- this is painful for the spouse. Um, and she may have a support system. I don't know if Relay has a support system for the spouses, but I think we recognize that this is hard for spouses too, and you're not dismissing that. Totally. Any more thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I think it's really important to, like it's this fine line between like you, as the person struggling, you need to have so much empathy and patience for them. And like knowing that I don't know how much this hurts, Jade, like I can't relate to that, I have to own up and accept that in, in part, because I'm still de- dealing with this, it is causing pain for her, but at the same time, not letting that point the sword at myself and say like, I am a terrible spouse. I'm a terrible person. Like I suck. I need to like have this unhealthy urgency to, you know, fix things. Like I think it, it's this very tough balance, but the way I would describe that it manifests for us is like, I am very focused on continuing to make improvement. I'm focused on the inputs more than the outcome. So I'm focused a lot more on what do I need to do in my spiritual and psychological healing a lot more than the number of days I'm counting. But at the same time, I'm trying to be very empathetic and patient when it is hard for Jade. And then kind of the the macro picture is like, 
And even with all of that, don't let it be the biggest part of our relationship. Like there are so many other things that we spend way more time talking about and things that we do together and aspects of our relationship that are also hard and things that are great. And because this isn't like the, the one that overshadows it all, like it's able to maintain a healthy balance, if that makes sense. It does. And you've a couple of times you've referenced, and now I just wrote it down, um, inputs versus outputs. Outputs of it seems to be the messing up, but the input seems to be um, the stuff you can sometimes, I think you can control both of those eventually, but I think the inputs is what you're focusing on that we really have control. And I felt like a lot of the YSAs were doing a really terrific job on the inputs um, and the things that were really within their um, control on a day-to-day basis, but sometimes not messing up for a long period of time, just seem to be outside of their reach. And so I like the focus on inputs. Um, I assume, talk about your mindset as you talked to um, this about Jade. Obviously, you cared a lot about her. It was early in the relationship. Um, I'm My advice, and I guess I'm answering my own question, but I want to see how you feel about this, was would to give, you know, if this is an unmarried sort of in your stage, just past the um, official stage unmarried couple, I think you'd give the partner permission to end the relationship um, because of that news. I, I think, but I think what you did there was so beautiful is you didn't, you said, why don't you go ask God how he feels about me um, versus have sort of a cookie cutter answer like everybody in the, in this situation should stay in the relationship or everybody in this situation right. should end. Yeah, um, And a lot of voices a- around there would say, this is how you handle it. But I like the way um, you relied on personal revelation, both of you. Any more thoughts on that? Because people probably, yeah. I mean, women probably reach out to you or to Jade and say, gosh, you know, should I dump this guy or not? These are pre-married people I'm kind of focusing on. And you talk about that age group and just nuance around everybody's individual journey. Yeah, I, I really agree that there's not there's not a, a one right answer. And like, should you stay? Should you Should you dump them, right? Like, I really think... Uh, he, so, so this is the way that Jade and I have come to see it. Um, we see it as like, I'm in, in our marriage and as an individual, I'm going to have a number of trials that are outside of my control. I'm going to have a number of weaknesses and challenges that are inside my control um, throughout our lifetime. And Jade is also going to have those same things. So the way we look at it is like, there are probably certain challenges or certain trials that like, like, I don't know, like, depending on what they are, it definitely could be appropriate to end the relationship depending on a variety of variables. Um, but also depending on the circumstances, it very well may not mean to end the relationship. And I don't think you can say if someone cheats on you, therefore it's over. If someone looks at pornography, therefore it's over. If someone's using drugs, therefore it's over. Like, I think it's really hard to be able to say that because that may be the right decision in a lot of circumstances. But as Jade and I realized that pornography is just one thing of potentially many challenges and hardships and struggles and weaknesses that both of us will deal with in our marriage. We need to take the same approach for all of them, which is this approach of personal revelation and trying to understand how God sees us and how we're like, where's our heart at? It's kind of the same thing where Jade could see that my heart was in a very sincere place and that I wasn't like, you know, like it was very much like, this is something that I've worked through for a really long time. For me, it probably was at an addiction level where psychologically my mind had been dealing with this for many years and there's still some healing that needs to happen. And I think she realized that that could explain why he still slips up, even when he's really, you know, by and large, trying to be really righteous and a good dude. And it doesn't mean that he's a different person or that there's this like unreconcilable 
you know, thing going on with like, how could he be like this and then slip up? Like, I think she was able to see like, okay, this makes sense for us. And God was able to help her see that. And so I think it's absolutely a nuanced thing that if you rely on God, I believe that you can get some clarity and simplicity around how to see it. And I think it helped us overcome the fear too. And I think Jade's really worked through a lot and doesn't, I don't think she is scared now to say like, you know, what if my husband never changes? Like, I don't think that, you know, if if there's a reality that I struggle my whole life, I think that she's at peace still knowing like all these other things we've talked about, like that's not a desirable outcome. It doesn't mean that emotionally that's hard for to like to swallow. And, And it could mean at some point that maybe she wouldn't be tolerant with that. And that could be the right decision for her. But at this point in time, it's like, we've kind of come to accept that we're going to have all these hardships. This is just one of them. We're going to take a God-driven approach to try to form our perspectives and not take a reactionary approach. Um, I was in a church meeting over the weekend and this briefly came up. Um, um, The speaker was going through kind of the long list of terrible things that are happening, which I agree with, Um, but he used vocabulary, the plague of pornography. And the, the thought that came in mind as I sat there was um, married men that have been viewing pornography for decades and have never told anybody. And that comment just caused them to probably not want to talk to anybody more and just feeling I'm a terrible person. And I think one of the things you mentioned about Relay before we went live is it's, you're actually finding a lot of people older than you connecting. and. So that's kind of a two-part question. I what would you say to listeners that okay, I wish I'd done what Chandler did with Jade. I wish I had cuz now I've got this two-decade trust problem. Yeah. And you yeah. have you have some trust, but you talked about this so early. I wish I I wish I could go back and be like Chandler, but now I'm in fact I'm on the high council. <laughs> and right. I've got kids and I've got a wife that just would be devastated. Maybe it's a wife that a husband would be devastated. That's one of the other challenges. If you're female viewing pornography, there's even more shame around this. We Oh, totally. And so, yeah. but talk, talk to those guys that are 20 years into this and um, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I really think it's no different than what we were just talking about. I really think that seeking the Lord's advice through prayer and being really humble to know that he'll take care of how it all works out. You know, that there may be some element of fear and not knowing, you know, how that will affect all these other areas of life, you know, family and the relationship and calling or whatever it is. But, um, I, I, yeah, I really think that there, it's the same thing. I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer to that. I don't think there should be a, it shouldn't be like a shame induced, you know, decision to confess because we're hearing these things like the plague of pornography and like, you know, keeping things a secret and, and, you know, hearing a story like mine where I was able to bring it up early on, like rather than a shame induced decision, I think you should again, take a God driven decision and try to understand, you know, based on your circumstance, what's the best way to go about, um, you know, mending this. And, and I, I really think that there, there will always be an answer for that. Um, I wrote down something word for word. You've said it twice, um, a shame induced decision versus a God induced decision. So listeners sit with that for a little bit. Um, as you're, as you're walking this road, um, just a great principle there. Talk about, um, 
to that. Now he's a high counselor. I've, I've made him a high counselor, 20 years viewing porn, never told anybody. Um, just heard about. So talk about um, Relay. Could Relay be helpful for him, even if he's not willing to talk to anybody else about it? Yeah, I think that's almost the one one use case for who Relay might be best for. I, I think there's a variety of, of people who could get a lot out of Relay. And I think we've seen a lot of people who are almost the exact description you described. They're really, really good people who maybe have told their wife, maybe haven't, um, you know, thirties or forties or fifties in terms of how old they are. And they've been struggling for 20 plus years. And, um, you know, the circumstances are a lot more serious in terms of like the kids and like how, how much years of a marriage, you know, they've, they've already gotten behind them, but, um, Relay has been game-changing for these people because it's been so scary to figure out the right entry point to honesty and to gaining a support system in the healing process um, until now I can download an app. It helps match me into a group of peers. I can stay as anonymous as I want to be. I can use my real first name or I can use a pseudonym. I, you know, I could put Jake or James or whoever. Um, and the other guys that I'm working with I can indicate if I want to be with people who are religious, spiritual or, or not, you know, so I can probably be with other people who value God. And that's a part of how they're thinking about things. And I'm probably with other people my age who um, just honestly, the most helpful thing can be asking the question instead of on a big community forum, you've got five guys there that you can chat with, you know, how did you approach this with your wife? You know, and I'm sure you'll get five different answers and that can be helpful. Um, And I think, the, the value in having a peer support system is, is so key because I think there's just naturally so little shame in other people who are absolutely not going to judge you because they're in the same boat. Um, and I think there, there's some power, I think, as we're noticing in people using Relay, you start to gain momentum and it can almost make it easier to take the next right step, you know, outside of the app or other, other things. And so I definitely think for anyone that doesn't have someone in their life, they haven't been able to tell your parent, your significant other, your bishop, whoever, I think starting with relay is a very non-threatening way to dip your toes in the water and start building your support system in a way that's not awkward or scary. Um, as we try to, you know, we do all the hard work for you by putting you into a group and making it so that you're comfortable and not having to reveal, you know, your full identity and, and you can share as much as you're comfortable with. Um, but the opposite of addiction is connection that's scientifically proven. And there's been a lot of research showing that the key role of connection and if the next right step isn't, you know, having a hard conversation with your significant other or telling someone in your real life, starting with peers could be a good, you know, idea. It could be a helpful starting point. Um, it's eight bucks a month. So I'm thinking now of somebody who says, okay, I'm, I want to do this eight bucks a month, but my wife sees our credit card statement. <laughs> Um, what, how does it bill out? Do you know that off the top of your head? Yeah, that's something that we've, we've worked through. So without getting into the nuance of it, um, on Apple, so on iOS, it just shows up as the app store, right? So it doesn't show any details about the app on Android. It does show the name of the app, which could be problematic. So for anyone who's like, has a concern about billing, um, my email or our support email should be listed on our website and stuff. I am, you know, we're a small team. This is a very, you know, personal issue to me that I care about. If there are any barriers like that, if someone were to email me directly, which, you know, Richard, you can include my email in the show notes if you want. Um, we will. I am more than happy to help, you know, 
do an alternative solution so that you know privacy is kept and it's as approachable as possible for anyone. Um, thanks for answering. Uh, these things come in my mind, and I have to think someone's thinking the same questions for. So that's why I ask them, listeners. Um, That's a good thing. And so I think if you're in that situation, Relays sounds like a great starting point. And you um, said something I wrote down again, although my ink's getting low, I've got to get a new pen. The opposite, you said the opposite of something is connection. The opposite of what equals connection? The opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. That's the quote. It's not my quote, so don't quote me. But it's the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And relays connection, you know, I think that absolutely to find a bunch of people in the same boat and to bounce ideas and get support. And, you know, if you do decide to talk to your wife about this, just like Jade felt, she's going to feel, you know, I think it's going to be a step or two back, my guess, in your marriage. And it's going to be, it's called betrayal trauma is what someone's talked to me about it, that this has gone on and there's going to be real trauma she's going to have to work through. But I would give you hope. That if you're, both of your goal is to make the marriage work, and the, that goal has not changed because of this, then you can keep that in your mind and in your goals. And if you're married in the temple, that your temple covenant still holds you together and this eternal family hasn't changed because now you're opening up about 20 years of undisclosed porn use. It is going to be painful, would be my guess. And she may need to find community with other women that have gone that are going through betrayal trauma. And, so I think both, um, my guess is Chandler was nodding his head. I can see, yeah, that's probably going to be the reality. And you felt yeah. some of that after just barely knowing Jade. So 20 years. Um, yeah, and it's still, you know, we're still on the journey. So it's still hard a lot of the times for us. And I'm glad you mentioned like uh, betrayal trauma and what, what women experience on the other side. We, we currently don't have groups going in relay for them, but we've actually had a lot of people reach out asking us that. So it's possible in the near future that we'll start doing that for women to have support groups um, whose husbands or others might be working through this. And, and I did want to speak really quickly because you mentioned, you know, women also can struggle with this themselves. I think that's also downplayed, you know, more than anything uh, is, you know, women are hearing, you know, these guys that are in their forties and fifties, like, yes, that is maybe more common statistically, but there are, you know, you're not alone if you're a female struggling with masturbation or pornography. And we've had a number of female groups on relay. So you wouldn't be the first one to come into relay. Um, and what's really cool about those groups, I've actually been able to, to get in touch with a number of our female users and understand their experiences and their perspective on how relays help them. And they've just expressed this overwhelming sense of like, it is so nice to have a support system of peers who are actually in the same boat because it's been so hard feeling like this is only a guy's issue and I have no one to talk to. And if I were to go to an in-person 12 step, you know, do they even have other girls for that? Um, and so I, I absolutely think that for females, like hopefully, Hey, you can just know that you're not alone by me saying that. But if you were to try out relay, I think it's potentially a way that I've, I've seen as I've talked to female users, they know that like, there's so much less shame now that they know that it's okay. Like, it's okay. It doesn't matter your, your gender, your age, like how many, if you're married or not married, how many years, like, it's okay. If you want to change this, there's help for you and, and you've got this and there's peers to have your back. I love that. And I'm glad there's really groups for women and there is more shame around this probably for women. Um, so I think we need to make progress there. I have not yet. I've, I do these podcasts with men working to solve porn and I get messages 
you know, from women that aren't ready to be on the podcast say, I need to hear stories of women. So um, I'm glad that Relay is providing this. And, um, you know, I'm reminded of a BYU student, unnamed, I won't name him, about a year ago, I did a Zoom call and he's working through porn use and he just was heartbroken because his girlfriend and her friends had a hard written rule that they would dump any guy that was looking at porn. And you're cringing and I just would, I don't know what became of that relationship. I, I just sense I was doing a Zoom call with an incredible young man um, who had served a mission and brought a lot of people to Christ um, and opened up to his girlfriend and rightly so, just like Jade, it's a little jarring, but I would, I sense I would caution any young woman, any old woman, I would caution any of us from having these sort of fixed rules that I will automatically dump a guy um, who's has or, or currently viewed porn. I, I'd invited the YSAs not to make virginity status a factor in who they were going to marry, that um, virtue was the attribute they were looking for. And if someone had been sexually active or not sexually active, don't rule them out as a potential partner. Um, guys do that with women, I think, culturally. Um, so I think we're, we need to sort of get to a principles base. We're looking for virtue. We're looking for Christ-like attributes. We're looking for all the refining process you've been through, Chandler. Now that still gives permission to someone end a relationship if they feel personal yeah. revelation that's the right if that's the right decision yeah but but let's not put limits on christ's atonement by having a blanket statement of someone who struggled with this i guess they're gone you know so yeah. you know and i i i think we're just making progress the other thing listeners is and i wrote this in the book is chandler's 24 um and I wrote this in the book. And one night I pulled up a bishop's, I just pulled up a chair in the bishop's office. And um, I just said, Heavenly Father, did you know it'd be so hard for these good YSAs? Sort of like, did you miscalculate? You made this a little too available. <laughs> and he said, you know, I didn't send him here to fail. I said, I built temples and I built support systems. But then another clear impression came to my mind is it is peaking with this generation. Because they are the fathers, the husbands, the mothers, the young women's leaders, really study presence, the bishops of tomorrow. And you look at, you listen to Chandler listeners, and I'm listening to my 24-year-old self. I was wired the same way as Chandler 24. I had no access. Um, And so that's the big difference between me at 61 and Chandler at 24 is now, yeah, I have access, but I'm not 24 anymore. Um, but I just really believe it's peaking and it's peaking because, um, you know, we're bringing it, we're talking about it in healthy ways, in appropriate ways, but we have people that have been walking this road like Chandler and other guests on the podcast that are saying vulnerability brings vulnerability. We heal each other when we're honest with our stories. That's another great improvement in our culture from my day. Um, we, I, no one would ever talk about this kind of stuff back in what year was I 24? This is like 1985. <laughs> I'm doing my math in 1985. So Chandler, I really believe this is peaking t- for today. And sometimes the women that choose to stay in these relationships recognize this isn't a blanket statement to stay in these relationships um, for the engaged couples or the newly dating couples, but they partly recognize that this is a refining thing for my spouse. And this is my future husband, the father of my kids. And because he's had a personal journey in the space, he's going to have unusually good tools to talk in ways that I never had to talk to a, 
my sons about this, even though I feel like was a little more ahead of the curve than typical fathers. But that's one of the things that you will do, Chandler, <laughs> um, in a very effective way and your wife with everybody in your circle of influence. So I have great hope that it is peaking with day. I don't, um, and your yeah. generation is helping us make some much progress. I learned most of what I learned to help the YSAs from the YSAs, to be honest, during that assignment, just listening to the YSAs, what was working and what isn't working. Um, because they're the ones walking the road and they had incredible insights. I don't know how you feel about that Chandler, but that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, no, I, I totally believe that too. And I, you know, I know my parents have spent a lot of time feeling like they could have done things differently and feeling guilt themselves. And I, you know, as I've talked to them, I've tried to reassure them, like you guys are awesome parents. You've done the best you can. And I think, you know, who are you to prevent me from struggling with something? You know, it's, it's not something you should feel ownership for, but I, at the same time, I do think that this generation is going to be so well equipped to, to be more vulnerable and not be afraid to talk about from a very personal angle, our values and, and like in a non-shameful way, like how to deal with all of these things, not just pornography, but a lot of other things that, that are difficult. And, um, I think, so we were on a podcast with another couple who's actually similar age to me and Jade, uh, Hayden and Savannah. It's called yeah. I Stand at the Door. Um, great, great podcast for people trying I'm to overcome. Glad they've been on our podcast a couple of times oh, and, they? and they've started that podcast and I'm so glad they did. Awesome. No, they're so cool. And one of the things that um, Savannah said was just like, I'm so glad that my husband or that my kids will have a father who really knows the savior and his atonement. And like, I don't fear for our kids because I know that my husband's like got a lot of tools in his toolkit to be able to help them. And it doesn't mean they won't necessarily struggle with this or something else, but I just loved her perspective on that. I thought that was a like super healthy way of looking at it. And, you know, I wouldn't, you know, make any, anyone feel bad if they don't feel that gung ho about, you know, yay for challenges. Like, but, but I think, I think it's a truth, you know, I think it really is how God sees it. Tell our listeners how to listen to more of those episodes. So this is Savannah and Hayden um, Paul, who have been in a couple of our episodes, but then they have started their own podcast. So um, tell our listeners their podcast again, if you can remember. You're Googling it, yeah, I think. It's because it's called I Stand at the Door. Um, and actually, if you want to hear more about Jade's perspective, my wife, we went on their podcast and Jade shared a lot of great stuff on that one. So you yeah. have to hear me talk today. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> if you want to go hear Jade, um, we have a podcast with them. I stand at the door, probably can find it on the normal podcast platforms. Yeah. So please listen to that. Um, terrific podcast and they're doing great work and I've learned so much from them. And, you know, repentance is a beautiful thing, but it's not like it's a, you know, it, uh, um, a computer program. It just erases that period of time from your life. It it takes the sin away, but it all but the beauty of repentance is all the Christ-like attributes you've learned and all the empathy and compassion, understanding about the atonement, that's still with us, listeners. So look at repentance in that way is um it's not just meant to splice out your time of your life. It's meant to keep that time of your life there, but take away the sin part of it and give you hope. But then all the things that you've learned, you're able to then lift the burdens of others and be a better Christ-like disciple. So look at the repentance process as a positive. Um, shame wants us, you said this before, shame wants us to look backwards and feel like we're at day one and all the work we've done to try to never mess up again is back to square one. And we're just never going to be beyond square one. But 
you know, I think the atonement in Jesus wants to have us feel we're one, we're healing and we're making progress and we're one step closer to just continuing making progress. I don't even like to say never messing up again. That is a hope and a reality for a lot of people. They're never going to mess up again. Um, so I want to keep that on the table, but I'm not sure I want to define it by that anymore. Um, so anyway, I just love, you know, what you're sharing and hope that's helpful. Any more final thoughts, um, Chandler? Yeah, I, I guess just my final thoughts would be that there is really power in coming out into the open and, and avoiding isolation by teaming up with others and seeking the spirit to know what that looks like, you know, whether it's um, a bishop, a family member, um, other peers, and, and how to find them. Like, um, I hope Relay could be a helpful resource for some people in that. But overall, I think the principle of teamwork, like we're all in this together, regardless of our challenge. There's a lot of people in the same boat and trying to overcome porn use. There's a lot of people in other boats that are also feeling very weighed down in their challenges, who are feeling helpless, who wonder if they're good enough, who I spent years trying to work towards whatever they're working on. And my hope is that we can all make a concerted effort to band together, to help each other improve in the way that we're trying to. And I know that there's so much power in doing that and that God wants us here on this earth to work together. He wants us to work with him, but not in isolation. He wants us to work with him with others. And I think that's the powerful combo that can help us see real change and become who we're trying to be. That's great. I'm really glad to have Chandler Rogers on the podcast. Listeners will link to jointrelay.app in the show notes. Check that out. Um, it might be something that would really help you or give you tools, something to help others. So this is Richard Osler and Chandler Rogers signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>